0: Agent Bender. You don't know me, but I know you. I work for the largest organization in the world. You've never seen us, or probably ever heard of us, but we have a presence in every household, including yours. Don't believe me? Then we're doing our job.
1: Agent Turner, when did he arrive? All right, uh, give me a minute and send him to the control room. The new guy's here. Is this the screw-up corporate's pointing off on us? Well, he's washed out of a couple of other divisions, but for some reason the boss is keeping him around. We want to keep the boss happy, right? Oh, yeah. It really cracks me up when people say they work for the devil. The only news. so the big guy himself wants us to break in this guy? that seems so besides we could use the help the boss wants several new initiatives in the next year so we're gonna be busy
0: i got a new initiative how about some time and a half and an extra vacation then
1: and since the cameras are picking all this up maybe you'd like a little death and pestilence with that as well you bender that's right i'm agent turner This is Agis Dodge, Hagen Snow. Welcome to CTU. CTU. Cool. Where's Jack Bauer? (laughs) Oh, that's very good. Because we've never heard that one before, have we guys? Oh no, never This is CTU, concept twisting unit We've been around for centuries, and I assure you this is not make-believe It's very real, and we do serious work (laughs) Like saving the world in 24 hours isn't serious What's that? (laughs) Nothing, I'm good As you know, Bender, our organization lives to disrupt the lives of everyday people And make their lives a living hell, hopefully a permanent one Here at CTU, we like to do our part in that process What did you do with your organization before you came here?
0: Oh, uh, lots of things. I ran a successful operation over in the web area that made the right people very happy.
1: Your file says that the idea was an online adult site that uh, never got off the ground because you spent too much time looking at
0: research. I was happy. What else? Uh, I ran an operation in accounting that racked up some Really big numbers? I heard you lost the organization four billion dollars.
1: So what do you consider a big number? Well, oh, Dodge, Dodge, Dodge. Look, Bender. We know that you've found up every assignment that you've been given, and I'm not exactly sure why you're still here, but I think you you may have a future here at CTU. You do you? Are you familiar with our work? Oh absolutely. <laughs> uh, you guys
0: are the best at uh all the different aspects of the total
1: approach to the overall goal. You have no clue, do you? No idea. So, no. Here at CTU, we're in the business of twisting things. Twisting things? Ideas and concepts, mostly. We take the truth and we twist it. Just enough to change your viewpoint.
0: And once we subtly change the viewpoint, then... Sit back and wait. And with enough time... We can twist the meaning without changing the term. Then we can ultimately wreak havoc. Understand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's... No, not really.
1: Give me an example, Dodge. Okay, let me think. Oh, a huge one. Have a seat. Now,
0: pull up the word family in Microsoft Word. Now, pull up the definition and read me the second definition it gives. Okay, if it'll float your boat uh, Family Second definition says A group of people who are closely related By birth, marriage, or adoption Now the primary definition uh, Definition one Family, group of people living together Or functioning as a single household Usually consisting of parents And their children
1: Now that's beautiful
0: <laughs> What is?
1: The twist, don't you see it? For centuries, the second definition Was the primary one talks about being related about birth marriage adoption you know commitment now the primary definition is a group of people who are living living
0: together and functioning as a single household usually consisting of their parents and their children you see
1: meaning a family's changed I give it 30 more years the usually consisting of parents and their children will be gone
0: so you guys are computer programmers
1: great life on the geek squad why don't
0: they let me carry a gun settle
1: down snow he's not bright in the room but he'll he'll get it what makes you so sure well he took two colossal flops and turned them into projects that what did he say made the right people happy and produced some pretty big numbers he knows the art of the twist besides a name like bender's got to count for something
2: So we're starting our brand new series today on Twisting the Truth. And uh, these, in case you didn't figure it out, these are demons that are working behind the scenes to try to um, twist things so that what you um, see and perceive is different than than reality. Now, I'm going to show you a picture uh, of a couple. And if you can tell me their names in 10 seconds, you'll win a $50 gift card to Applebee's. If you were in the early service, you don't get to play. Ready, set, Go. Yeah, you walked out and then you walked in. Thank you, Travis, for playing. This is Goldie and Jerry Lipman. Everybody go, oh, yeah, you hadn't heard of them, have you? I bet you've heard of the company they founded way back in the 40s. Here it is. How many of you heard of Gojo? How many of you heard of Gojo Hand Cleaner? This is what they did. They decided that back in 1946, when they started their company, that it was very, very difficult to get the grease off the hands of factory workers. So they came up with this formula. And if you've ever worked outside and gotten grease on your hands, you know this stuff works. It's really, really good. And most of us have, have been impacted by this. In 1950, um, Jerry invented the very first soap dispenser, the on-the-wall soap dispenser type thing. So this dude made lots and lots of money. All right. Now, even if you haven't used Gojo, I'm willing to bet that that you've used and been impacted by what they came up with, their company came w- up with in 1988. Anybody got an idea? Go ahead. Yes, I know you have an idea, guys. You were here. How many of you heard of Purell Hand Cleaner? We have it all over the place. Why do we have it all over the place? Because of germs. All right, you guys are good. Now, we understand that there is an unseen world of germs that can impact our lives, correct? Everybody understand that? You, you believe? How many of you believe in germs? Let me see your hands. All right, most of us believe in germs. And do you also believe that if given a chance, those unseen things can impact the seen world? You believe that can make a major impact? Okay. Well, what I'm talking about is the germ theory of disease that was put forth by Louis Pasteur. Now, um, Louis Pasteur, you've heard of him, right? You remember his name, the pasteurization process. In the late 1800s, he came up with this idea that that there were germs and that things need to be sterilized. And it was a very, very controversial idea at the time. Uh, Up until his discoveries, people believed in something called spontaneous generation. I'm not making this up. I did all this research. The idea was things just appear out of nothing. Let me give you my favorite recipe that I found. In the 17th century, there was a recipe for creating mice. How many of you want that recipe? Here, Not kidding. Here's the recipe. You take an empty jar, leave the lid off. You put sweaty underwear in there. I don't know why sweaty underwear. You take some wheat husks, put those in there, and you leave it for at least 21 days. The theory was that at some point, that sweat from the underwear will penetrate the husks, the wheat husks. And then in at least 21 days, mice will just appear. Doesn't that seem strange to us? That's what people believed governments believed it religious people believed it They believed that just things came out of nothing But thank God men like Louis Pasteur fought for um, To convince surgeons that germs existed and germs caused disease And um, dirty instruments and dirty hand spread germs and, and therefore disease The pasteurization process killed germs and prevented untold numbers of people from dying in surgery So thank God we had somebody like Louis Pasteur But back then it was very very difficult for people to believe that there was something invisible that could impact the visible. They, they couldn't believe that there was something hiding on surfaces or something blowing in the wind that would land on skin or somehow get inside um, wounds or even, even in, through your nasal passages that could hurt you. And, and uh, we believe germs are real because we have been impacted by germs, right? Okay, thank you. Now, at the hospital, you literally cannot walk more than 20 or 30 yards without finding another hand sanitizer dispenser, right? Because we understand, we believe in germs, even though we can't see them with the naked eye. When when Janie and I have been on cruises, almost every public um, uh, doorway that you go through, there's a hand sanitizer dispenser right there. And it's so important that most of the time during meals, when you go to your meal in the restaurant, there are two staff members dedicated to pumping out that gel, whether you want it or not, because this miraculous gel will help you kill germs. Now, we understand it, and we know that the real problem with germs is they don't stay hidden. That if germs come into the contact with the right variables, they become seen. For example, on a cruise ship, have you ever heard of the rotavirus? The rotavirus becomes very seen, very, the, the effects of it become very seen because everybody gets sick and it, and it passes around. It's very, very contagious. So we understand in our time that the unseen impacts the scene. Well, that's the first point. Good job, Travis. Travis. The invisible impacts the visible. This is a theme that's going to carry us through this whole series. There is an invisible world that impacts our visible world. It's true in the physical uh, terms, in the physical world. It's also true in the spiritual world. The Bible tells us that there's another invisible world that has occupants who want to wreak havoc in our visible world. The unseen world impacts relationships, attitudes, decision-making process. It, it impacts our attitudes towards morality, towards marriage, towards finances, how we date, how we do business. It threatens everything in our lives. But because we're so smart and so sophisticated and we are so politically correct in 2016, we don't really believe demons exist. Demons, after all, aren't they, aren't they created by people's overactive imaginations? I mean, demons are good for Halloween, but They're not real. That's what we believe. According to the Bible, they are. See, the Bible says some things that everybody likes, like um, love your neighbor, honor your parents, don't steal, don't kill. We're like, oh yeah, those are good things. The very same Bible says there is an unseen world whose occupants want to destroy you. Invisible things that want to destroy the the visible. How else do you explain the stupid decisions that we make? I mean, stupid, right? We commit relationship suicide all the time because of stupid decisions and people on the outside. We can look and go, no, don't go that way. You know, it's like if the bridge is out and somebody's signaling the bridge is out and people keep driving, they're going to be destroyed. It's like that. We see them going down the wrong path and we're signaling. Don't go, don't go. And for some reason, they can't see it. You want to know why they can't see it? The simple reason is they have been deceived Someone or something has deceived them. And the really sad thing is many people in this room today are deceived. Don't get mad yet. You can get mad later, but don't get mad yet. Hear me out. It's like we're, we're walking through a minefield and it's like you can see people walking through minefields and they keep making the same mistakes. They keep walking over the same mines. They keep getting blown up in their relationships. And you're going, why can't you figure this out? But then there's other people that walk through the same type of minefields. And even though they may get a little bit of stuff on them, they they some, somehow seem to navigate the minefield better than others. They do relationships better. They do marriage better. They do finances better. And when we're really honest, we look at people like that and we say, "I want, I want a marriage like that. I want I want to do finances like that. I want to have relationships like they do. How do they do that? How do these people, some people, they they're the exception, they're not the rule. How do some people navigate through? Well, the first thing you have to realize is you can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible that you accept and which parts you reject. It is an all or nothing deal. It's all inclusive. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. And so it's our authority as a church. It's my authority as an individual. It's your authority, whether you want to accept it as your authority or not. But then the other thing you have to understand is that Jesus, the one we claim to follow, believed in an invisible world. I'm going to show you that. So here's the here's the next thing. First thing is the invisible impacts the visible. The second thing you need to realize in this series is Jesus believed that the devil is real. Jesus believed the devil is real. the one that we say we follow believe the devil is real Now, if you have your Bibles, if you have a smartphone, I want you to turn to John chapter eight. If you have the bible um, app u version or, or just any Bible app, you can follow along when we get there. Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders, and by this point in his ministry, he's done so many miracles. His teaching is so incredible that people are just thronging to his ministry, and they're saying, you know what? He may be the one, you know, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. We think this guy is it, and the religious leaders are standing on the sidelines going, no, I don't think so. And the religious leaders are the ones who should have known. Because they had the Old Testament memorized that 's all he had at that point was the Old Testament, and from the Old Testament, they knew what the Messiah should be like. He should be born of a virgin, he should come from uh, the town of Bethlehem, he should l- lead a sinless life, he should heal diseases, he should cast out demons. All of these things were foretold in the Old Testament. The religious leaders should have recognized him when he was there, but they didn 't and I think part of the reason is because they were jealous of him because he was drawing crowds, and they weren 't and he refused to be bound by their traditions. And it infuriated them. So they wouldn't they wouldn't acknowledge him as the Messiah. So Jesus says, after everything you've seen me do, after everything you've heard me say, you still don't believe that I'm from God. And these religious guys, they say, we don't need you because we have Abraham and Moses. They went honest Abe and big Mo on him. They're our ancestors. We don't need you. And then they called Jesus a false prophet. They said, we can learn everything from him. We don't need you. You're a false prophet. Jesus says, well, if, if you really were followers of those guys, you would believe in me. Because check this out. Honest Abe, Big Mo, they believe in me. And then he said, God knows me too. Those guys know me. God knows me. And and you're not even following God. That's how come you don't know me. Now, if, if you walk into a bunch of religious people, if you go to, to Jerusalem today, and you go to some of the synagogues and you say, "Ah, oh, you guys, you're not following God. You don't even know God. Do you think you're going to have a fight?" Probably. Jesus is just getting warmed up. Look what happens in John 8:43. Jesus is still talking to these same religious leaders. He says, "Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father the devil." Who's your daddy? The devil. Religious, who's your dad? Okay, I I just want you to get the impact of this. You are children of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. If he's the father of lies, it means he's also the father of liars. Liars. Now, I just have to stop here. And, and you know, we call the devil he, and, and it's just a, it's, it's a figure of speech, or is it? A lot of people don't like that, that God is identified as a he. They think he should be gender neutral. But have you noticed nobody ever has a problem with the devil being called a he? I'm just pointing out something here. Ladies are going, yeah, let's call him a he. Alright, that, that has nothing to do with anything. Jesus says there's a deceiver who has snowed you. He's twisted your thinking just enough that instead of wanting the truth, you're going to accept and believe a lie. You've so bought the lies that you're related to him. You're his children. He's your daddy. And the leaders are like, oh, no, no, no. Abraham is our father. And Jesus goes, no, actually your dad's the devil. Dude, this is fighting words if you're talking to a religious person. And Jesus is throwing down some really deep teaching here. He's saying that, that the devil is a murderer and, he, and he, you're about to prove that he's your daddy when you kill me is what Jesus said. Was Jesus proven right? Yes. Jesus said that, that lying is Satan's native language. He's the father or the originator of lies. Jesus believed that there was a very real devil. He had a personality, and and he believed that the devil's agenda was murder. He wants to literally destroy your life, but he also wants to literally kill you so that your permanent home is in hell. He wants to kill you before you ever receive Christ. That way he destroys you. And and we're going to look at some specifics in the weeks to come, but I want you to grasp these ideas. First of all, Jesus believed that the invisible impacts the visible. Jesus believed the devil is real. And then Jesus even tells us about the devil's um, strategy. Here's what he says. How How does he do it? How does he destroy our lives? Number three is Satan uses deception. Deception. Now, you have to understand, God has limited Satan's power. Satan is a created being. That means he's not all powerful. He's not all places at once. He's not all knowing. He is a created being. He has been limited. So the only way he can destroy your life is by twisting the truth and you believing a lie. That's the only way that works. Satan's too smart to come out in the open. So he hides and he tries to convince everybody that, you know, he's either he doesn't exist or he just has a pitchfork and and a pointy tail. But Jesus, the one we say we follow, says he is real. And since the object of God's affection is humans, Satan, the enemy of God, hates everything human. He wants to destroy everything about you, relationships, trust, emotions, your, your physical body, your worship of the true God. And he accomplishes all of that through lies, through deceiving you. Jesus believed he was real. Let me show you something else that Jesus believed. John fourteen thirty. I don't have much more time to talk to you. He's talking to his disciples. He said, I don't have much more time to talk to you for the evil prince of this world approaches. He has no power over me. So Jesus not only believed the devil was real, he believed that he's the prince of this world. If he's a prince, that means he has power. If he's a prince and has power, that means he rules and has an army at his disposal. And what he wants to do is destroy people that are near to the heart of God. Well, how do we know this is true? Well, besides the fact that Jesus is God's son and the Bible tells us that nothing was created in all of creation without Jesus through him, all things were created. So we know that Jesus has all knowledge of everything that was created. Jesus is eternal. He helped create everything else. But beyond that, Jesus saw the schemes that Satan tried face to face when Jesus was a human and he walked on the planet right after he was tempted in the wilderness. Look what it says in Luke chapter four, verses five and six. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. We live on a planet, according to Jesus, that is under the authority of someone who wants to destroy us, a personality called the devil. And the devil is attempting to destroy God's creation through deception. So you have to stop and ask yourself, who is telling the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I believe from the scripture that Jesus is truth. Truth is a concept, not a concept, truth is a person named Jesus. And Satan is a liar according to Jesus, so who are you gonna believe? If you follow Jesus' life, what you find is that the religious leaders eventually lied about who Jesus was so that they could watch him killed. If they lied about Jesus so that they could watch him killed, who's their daddy? According to Jesus, Satan. When you and I lie and steal and hurt other people, who's our daddy? Satan. We have some choices to make about this. So the last thing I want you to realize in this whole series, this is kind of an overview today, is you and I are under attack. If there's a real devil, if he has a real army, if he has real power, you and I are under attack constantly. Now, not only did Jesus believe there was a real person called the devil, but so did Paul, the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on all the armor, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He has a strategy for you. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the what? Wait, I'm, I didn't hear you. Of the what? Paul, who wrote half the New Testament that we study, says there's an unseen world. Jesus, the founder of our faith, says there is an unseen world that impacts the seen world. He says, we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now you need to understand these, these spirits, while they're not all powerful, while they're not all knowing, they do, they are eternal until they're thrown into the lake of fire. You and I in this body, we're temporary. Our spirit gets to live on beyond this lifetime. And and we have to choose in this lifetime whether we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, except who Jesus is, what Jesus said, or if we're going to buy the lies and spend eternity in hell. We have a choice to make. Now, these these spirits, they're smarter than we are because they've existed longer. They have been attacking and destroying lives longer. And they're going to look. They have a file with your name on it. Or if they are in the 20th century, they have a computer with your name. And they can look you up. And they know whatever it is that they need to tempt you with. And they're going to keep tempting and keep tempting and keep tempting until you fall. And if it takes 30 years... They're perfectly content with laying a trap for 30 years if it destroys you and destroys your family. He says, put on on the full armor, every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So what this says to me is we are in a battle. If we're not in a battle, we're going to be in a battle. God has given us armor. We don't use it. Every day, we walk out into the streets, into a battle, and we're beaten up, and we're knocked down, we're bloodied, because we don't even bother to stop for a minute and think, I'm in a battle. How dumb is that? Say, really dumb. Right? Scripture says we're in a battle. Scripture says you have armor. You have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. You have one thing, and then we're supposed to stand firm because we are in a battle. And he says, if you'll put on the full armor, if you'll use the things that God has given you, you can stand firm when this battle hits you. Because guess what? The battle's gonna hit you. If you're not in one now you're about to be, or you just you're so deceived that you don't even realize there's a battle raging, that Satan wants to destroy everything about you and about your your relatives, your your descendants. Not only did Paul believe the devil was real, but he also believed the devil had a very simple strategy against you and against me. It's called deception. It's called tricks. It's called schemes. Satan doesn't have to do a whole lot. All he has to do is twist the truth just enough that you and I buy it so that we're destroyed. For example, he takes, he takes appetites and he twists them into addictions. Addictions. He takes something like a God given desire for sex and he waters it down to nothing more than a biological function. Kind of like kind of like when I'm hungry, I need to eat. Well, when when I have sexual urges that are too strong, I have to have those sexual urges met. After all, it's only casual sex life from hell. There's no such thing as casual sex. You are, you are forever connected to that person when you have sex with that person. He twists the truth. It's just casual. It's consensual. So what? It's a battle and you're going down when you buy that stuff. He takes a a need for nice things or a, a desire for nice things. There's nothing wrong with a desire for nice things, but he twists it so that we can't even see someone else succeed without being jealous of what they have. We can't celebrate when they have something nice. We we're we're lusting after what they have because we're deceived. It's twisted. It's what he does to us. There is an invisible enemy who has a strategy for you and me. It's meticulously planned out. He will wait as long as it takes for you and I to fall. He doesn't want to just destroy you. He wants to destroy your husband, your wife, your kids, your cousins, your neighbors. He wants them all. He's ruthless. He hates humans and only wants to kill and destroy them. If that's true, Jesus said it's true. Paul says it's true. If that's true, our only hope is to do life God's way. But some of you are still skeptical. You'll buy the whole thing about germs because you've been impacted by germs in a negative way. But you're not going to buy that there's some invisible thing. There's a demon. You just don't believe that. Maybe you have your own explanation for stuff that happens in the world, for evil things that happen in the world. But, But there are things that are evil. How do you explain men flying planes into buildings on 9-11 in the name of Allah to please Allah to kill innocent people? That's evil. How do you explain Hitler killing millions and millions of Jews because they're Jews? That's evil. How do you explain ISIS chopping heads off of men, women, and children because they claim to follow Christ? That's evil. How do you explain child pornography? That's evil. How do you explain the sex slave trade that that I thought was outside our borders, but the more I read, the more I realize it's going on. It's in Houston, Texas, the sex slave trade. How do you explain that? Kidnapping a young girl and forcing her to have sex with men. That's evil. I don't know how you explain it, but I explain it as evil. Someone is telling the truth and someone's lying evil exists whether you believe it or not Satan exists whether you believe in him or not somebody's telling the truth somebody's lying I'm going to bet it's Jesus Christ the only one who was raised from the dead never to die again I'm not going to believe Muhammad Muhammad's still in his grave. I'm not going to believe Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism, or Charles Taz Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not going to believe those guys. I'm going to believe the one who rose from the dead never to die again. I think he's telling the truth. Jesus proved himself by doing everything that the Old Testament said a Messiah should do. Muhammad didn't. Joseph Smith didn't. Charles Taz Russell didn't. Any religious leader that you can name other than Jesus Christ did not perform the things that a Messiah would do. There's over 50 major prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of them. The the odds that one person could do that who was not the Messiah are astronomical. In fact, they don't even exist. It's such a small percentage of someone being able to fulfill 50 major prophecies before they're born. Things they couldn't control. Jesus really is who he said he was. But in our day and age, people don't believe in absolute truth. People don't believe that what is good for me might not be good for you. They, they uh, No, you can't tell me. Don't you judge me. How can you possibly know what's good for me? How can I possibly know what's good for you? Don't you dare judge me. Many people think they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, with no consequences. And those people are deceived. So my question as we start this whole series... Are you a deceived person? Do you bow your heads for a moment? I just want you to pray and ask God that. God, am I deceived? Is there an area of my life that I have been believing a lie? And just see what God says. Cause I don't think you had to ask God to know the answer to that question. Because you know your life doesn't line up with scripture all the time. So what are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna continue to be deceived? Are you going to continue to believe the father of lies? Are you going to act like your father and lie and cheat and steal and destroy? Or are you going to become like your heavenly father? Because he has the power to change you. The choice is yours. Father, would you reveal to us where we've been playing games? Would you change us so that we have the same heart you have, so we have the same eyes you have when we see other people, that we'll respond to them like Jesus Christ would instead of like we want to respond? And would you make this a place where your light shines so brightly that we cannot pretend that we have to come in and fall down and say we fall short? Because, God, we we know that you love when people are humble. You say you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. Father, if there's proud people in this room, break us so that you might be glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.